Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, welcome to Wobegon. This is a re-recording of the first episode of Wobegon, Participant Observation. I've changed the script slightly and generally just applied better practices to recording so that you can get the best pilot experience possible. The further you get in the show, the more it's going to sound like this. So with that being said, enjoy the show. I have made an egregious number of mistakes in my time. When I was in the first grade, I got bored listening to a teacher lecturing about Christopher Columbus on Columbus Day, so I tied my shoes together. A teacher finally noticed that I did this when I was tripping on my way to lunch, and when she asked me what happened, I panicked and I said it was an accident. In fifth grade, my mother gave me $100 for lunch money, and I put it on page 100 of my history textbook so that I wouldn't forget where it was. And then I immediately forgot where it was. Mistakes are endemic to the story of Mike Walters. My first mistake with Wobegon was believing that I could be a journalist. I thought I could observe from a distance without getting involved, like a biologist watching a lion take down a gazelle and not intervening. Lions have to eat too, after all, and something must die for that. I should have been a better judge of my own character than to think that I could prevent myself from participating. Even anthropologists don't fully abstain from participating in the cultures that they observe. This sort of hubris within myself should no longer surprise me. I am not a journalist, nor am I a professional anything. I'm a shitty podcaster, at best. In what conceivable universe, in what conceivable timeline, could low-rent podcaster Mike Walters consistently do the right thing? The only thing that I realistically did right was hit record and start talking. Oh, and I think I might be winning? This is Wobegon. I'll cut the shit. If you're listening to this podcast, it is almost certainly because you saw something on one of the more tasteless corners of the internet about an alternate reality game called Woebegone. 
After Googling Wobegone and getting a myriad of dictionary definitions and something about Prairie Home Companion, apparently, you probably found someone trying to look cool on the internet by talking about a mysterious game. I'm not here just to be mysterious and look cool on the internet, though I do hope to look cool on the internet as a side effect. I want to dive into the phenomenon of Wobegon in a way that maximizes SEO rankings by using correct capitalization and stylization of the title, capital W-O-E dot capital B-E-G-O-N-E, Wobegon. Wobegon is a competitive game with a secret rule set. This sets it apart from most ARGs, which are usually based around some sort of content distribution, usually video, around which a community solves rudimentary puzzles in order to unlock the next section of the plot. Instead, the secrecy of Wobegon and its rules is maintained by game runners, whom I can only assume have significant experience as black hat hackers. Any attempt by players to communicate to people who are not yet playing the game are met with griefing in the form of spam, DDoS, and takedown requests. The original post that led me to investigate the game has already been removed, even though it's only been a month since it was originally posted. In all fairness, that poster should have seen it coming. He posted it to a major subreddit. It was going to get attention. I know that by starting this podcast, I'm setting up the same thing to happen to me, but I'm not sweating it. I keep as low a profile as possible online. There aren't that many accounts that I would lose sleep over becoming compromised. My bank account is attached to an email that I don't use for anything else, and isn't connected to me in any way that a hacker, or even a close friend really, could possibly guess. The game runners haven't done anything too heinous to people just talking about the game, as far as I can tell. No one has ended up dead in a gutter for posting on Reddit. Creating this podcast is a calculated risk that I'm willing to make. Maybe my high-level performance in the game will allow me to escape some of the scrutiny. It's unlikely, but possible. I didn't set out to quote-unquote play the game, so much as I wanted to be able to see the game being played. Unfortunately, the only way to get to see what happens was to sign up and feign at least some auspices of actually playing along. Pretending to be a journalist, I had a few things that I wanted to learn through my participation in the game what the rules are, who the players are, and what happens when someone inevitably wins the game. My intention was never to play in order to win. If you want to play Wobegon, the first thing you must do is stumble upon a link to a sign-up website. It's smattered across the web, so anyone with some internet savvy should be able to get there. The link that I found was an internationalized URL. All this means is that the URL was registered with a character set that wasn't ASCII, so imagine Chinese, for example. It's impossible to tell what language it was registered in just based on the URL. All that means for the end user is that it looks like a gibberish string of numbers and letters. It was all on the surface web, though. No Tor browser or deep web shenanigans necessary. If you aren't viewing the website via a VPN and in incognito mode, the website will redirect you to DuckDuckGo. I imagine that a 90s incarnation of this website would hit your back button for you, but browsers stop letting you do that type of thing for a good reason. The website is a black screen with a long prompt in the middle that just reads phone number and provides a submit form. I've heard that if you put in a number that isn't a VOIP burner number, it won't work, but there's no way that I would give this sketchy website my main phone number, so I didn't even try that. I was excited to see this landing page, because it was already more of a real-life thing than most ARGs are. There weren't unlisted YouTube videos with Slenderman or Polybius Squares or a vague Twitter account. Just an indication that when the game started, it would intersect with my real life. I put my burner number in, hit submit, and went to bed. I woke up to 21 text messages. There are few things more infuriating than being awoken by a series of text message tones and not being able to mute the conversation in time. After the messages stopped flooding in, I blearily checked them. 
Out of the 21 messages, 20 were random characters spammed hundreds of times. Right in the middle of these messages was a message with real words, in all caps, that read, Call up your last ex-boyfriend in the middle of the night. If he answers, hang up and call again until it goes to voicemail. Tell him about the worst thing that he ever did to you. Be sure to bring up every unsettling detail. You know you still think about it. Tell him that you don't forgive him. Record it, and send us the mp3. Signed, W.B.G. So I was anticipating some edgy shit. You don't make an ARG unless you watch Donnie Darko in high school and it changed your life. Ask me how I know. I do not say this from a place of judgment. This initial challenge did feel a little extra, though. It was disappointing that the first challenge was something that I desperately didn't want to do. I was hoping that it would build up in intensity more gradually. I wasn't surprised that it was like this, but I did need to do some self-reflection in order to decide whether or not it was worth it for me. There wasn't any way that I could just hit record on my phone and fake my way through. I'm not a very good actor. I would give the game away almost immediately. Not to mention that it would go against the spirit of the game, the spirit of the game being the thing that I was intent on observing in the first place. It was going to need to be a real phone conversation. I don't know how they found out that I have an ex-boyfriend. Maybe it was just a lucky cold read? Regardless, I hope it wasn't the result of some black hat hackery bullshit. I didn't think they could find any extra information about me. All I had given them was the IP address to a VPN and my VOIP burner number. The sign-up website wasn't asking for a behind-seven-proxies level of security, but they also weren't asking for enough information to find me. So if they actually figured out about John, then it's a mystery to me how they did it. I'm tempted to keep speculating here in order to stall longer. I made the call. I don't want to talk about it, but I did make this podcast specifically in order to talk about it, so I've written myself into a bit of a corner here. I can't play the recording that I took of the confession, though, for reasons that will become obvious later. To say that having to verbally relive this moment was re-traumatizing would be an understatement. I'm sure that I will be sharing some horrifically personal things as the story of Wobegun continues, but it would be nice if I could make it through the first episode without having a total meltdown. I called my ex-boyfriend John at 11.30 at night. That's the middle of the night for me. I'm old, fuck you. John had probably just gone to bed. It had been about two years since we spoke last, and even longer since we were together. Yes, I have been single that long. How a man with perfect eyebrows could be single for so long is a mystery that only an actual expert journalist could be able to solve. We didn't have a terrible breakup. It was awful, but it was a normal amount of awful. It boiled down to us not having too much in common, rather than something spiteful. Our lack of commonality was at the core of the event that I was going to describe on the phone. Around Ring 3, I had an intense urge to back out and forget this ever happened. I shuddered at the thought that he might answer, groggily, wondering what the hell could be so important that Mike would call him in the middle of the night out of nowhere, only for me to hang up and try again to get his voicemail. By the grace of God, he didn't answer. He still had the same voicemail that he had when we were together. I mean, it was an automated robot voice reading out his phone number, but it was still the same message. My heart was in my throat. I hit record on the phone recording app. John's voicemail beeped, and I started talking. About a year into our relationship, my lifelong best friend died suddenly and unexpectedly. He died during the early afternoon, but the news trickled slowly and torturously outward over the course of the whole day. The air was sick from the tangle of communications from friends and family trying to figure out what had happened. John was on the way to watch a hockey match with some friends when I got the first whiff that something was wrong. An infuriating and dreadful one-two punch of text messages. When was the last time you talked to Matt? Followed by, you're going to want to sit down, text me back immediately. 
That is how the rumor of the news first got to me, but nothing was confirmed yet. I was at home, alone. I hate hockey, and John loved it, so I would often stay at home and screw around on the internet, while he went to hockey matches with his more enthusiastic friends. I called him and told him what I thought was going on. He was comforting, even concerned, but then he said that he was almost at the arena, and he wouldn't be home for a few hours. Stunned that he didn't pick up on my not-so-subtle cry for help, I just said, Okay. I didn't even put up a fight. I spent the next several hours texting and calling friends, trying in vain to get in touch with Matt's parents, refreshing social media feeds, trying to get even the smallest morsel of confirmation that the worst had happened. And I was alone. The uneasy relief of confirmation had set in by the time that John got home, a few hours later. I had inadvisably been drinking, and was in something of a state. We got into the worst fight that I could imagine either of us getting into, neither of us being the fighting type. I've never been that worked up before or since that incident. I think it stopped just short of becoming an actual fist fight. It got heated, my body felt red hot. The arguments fractalized and we relitigated old arguments that had been put to bed months ago. Arguments that I didn't even know I still had feelings about. I described these relitigations in my phone call, which itself was a relitigation of what had happened that horrible day. I had screamed until my voice was hoarse. John did too. I was so resentful of him for not understanding that he was supposed to come home. Looking back, I don't think that he had the context to understand what was going on fully enough to know how serious things really were. I felt terrible for him now, thinking about what his mental state must have been on that day, but I didn't think I was allowed to tell him that on this phone call. My inner monologue spilled out into the phone call, like a cup that had been suddenly and fully inverted, all water moving in unison to make a forceful slap as it struck the ground. It was a small corner of my inner self that I only thought to venture into during the lowest parts of my life. And then I told him that I didn't forgive him. After I hung up the phone, I crouched in front of my closet that I had paced up to while talking, tense on the balls of my feet, and I just sat there. I didn't know what else to do but to sit there. My brain felt like there was a screen between it and my body. Something that I learned after losing Matt is called depersonalization, at least according to a friend of mine. I had never sought out therapy, even though I should've. Some of this post-call freakout was recorded by my phone recording app, since I was too distraught to turn it off immediately after ending the call. I hated myself. For bringing all of this back into John's world in the middle of the night. For wanting to know about Wobegon badly enough to do all of this to myself and John all over again. I hated myself for having all of these negative emotions about something that happened so long ago and that I had always considered resolved. I hated myself for every other ugly, resentful story inside of me that was identical to the one that I had just relived. I ended up laying on the carpet and just crying for a while. This all felt like a horrible mistake. But... Fuck it. I picked up my phone and texted the audio file to the Wobegon Game Runners before I could think too much about it. I had done it, so I might as well claim whatever prize I had coming as a result. It could be nothing. They could use this recording against me as blackmail. I didn't see how a recording that amounted to Mike Walters is really sad that his best friend died could be useful blackmail material. More than anything else, it just felt like a mistake. I woke up the next morning surprised at how refreshed I felt. Even though I didn't get to talk to John about what had happened, I did get to reckon with something that weighed more heavily on my conscience than I realized. It felt good to be on the other side of those feelings. 
I got up earlier than usual and had some pep in my step while I was making biscuits and gravy, alone in my apartment. It wasn't until I got done cooking and had sat down to eat that the consequences of the Wobegun game began to hit me. None of it happened. None of it. My friend who died is alive and living in Vancouver. He had to move away for his job. John and I never had that awful fight. We ended up breaking up, but this fight wasn't a factor in our breakup because this fight never happened. That anxious day of screaming my throat raw had completely vanished from the universe. None of it had ever happened. That recording that I sent to Wobegon was gone. I never left John that voicemail, bringing all of this back to the surface. Likewise, I never texted a recording of that voicemail to Wobegon. To be clear, all of this had once happened, and now none of it had ever happened. It changed. The world is different than it was before I sent that text message. It's different in the specific way that Matt never died, and so the ramifications of him dying never happened. I hope I haven't over-explained this. It is excruciatingly obvious that a claim of this size requires a similarly astronomical amount of proof to overcome rightfully skeptical arguments. Furthermore, it is definitionally impossible to offer adequate proof that what I'm saying is true because the truth of the universe as I once knew it has been fully replaced with the truth of the universe as it is now. It would be easy to fabricate evidence, for instance a fake news article about Matt's death, and the event is so improbable that any evidence is more likely a fabrication than the truth. But I know that it happened. I called up Matt and we talked, same as it ever was. I got all choked up on the phone and he awkwardly brushed past it and didn't ask further questions because he's as conflict avoidant as I am, same as it ever was. I can't even imagine how this reality was made possible. This happening exists fully outside of my imagining of what is possible within the physical universe. My only hope was that if I inched closer to winning Wobegon, the answer would begin to come to light. Is it a simulation? An alternate reality? Am I a character in a story about time travel? Every option seems equally impossible. I can assure you that not every life alteration that will happen to me over the course of Wobegon will be quite so cheery. This challenge wasn't Wobegon, it was the first challenge of Wobegon. This was merely the least violent introduction to the proverbial blood trail of my history with Wobegon, the blood trail that you can use to track me to where I am now. Waiting for the second challenge to start, a dread set in. A worry that if I lost, the events detailed in that voicemail would come barreling back into my reality. This has been Wobegon. Next time, a second challenge, a phantom pain, and a bladed contraption. Thanks for playing. Be gone.